Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome to Just a Sip. I am Justin Sylvester, and today we have one of the finest black men on TV joining us for this podcast. This conversation was, it was deep. I found out a lot about myself. I found out a lot about the Queer Eye cast. I mean, there were some nuggets in this interview, and I'm just so happy to have one of the most enlightened men join me today on this podcast. Please welcome Karamo Brown. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad to be here. Bro. We are at Just a Sip with the one Karamo Brown, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. I'm calling this episode Sex, Drugs, and Mari Povich. <laughs> Because this book, if you guys have not gotten this book right now, get it and do yourself a favor. Do not just get the book, get the audio book because you can hear it in his own words. I am an audiobook person. I listen to them all the time. Never have I heard so much heart, so much love, so much pain behind one person telling a story. I appreciate that, boo. I, all, so all weekend you were texting me saying, oh, oh my gosh, that part, this part. And that made me so happy. You have no idea. Because I put... A lot of people, when they write memoirs, they say they're going to be open and transparent about everything, but then they don't. And yeah. I am, was open and transparent about every single thing. No, for sure. I, listen, I was like, I'm not hiding anything. Honey, not one thing. you were giving me Iyanla for two hours <laughs> on that treadmill. Because you were so open and transparent, who was the one person you were scared to read this manuscript? Because you kind of just lay it out there. Yeah. Um, nobody. To be honest with you, because before I started reading, everyone knows that I live my life 100% honest, mm -hmm. 100% open, because that's the only way I feel like other people can grow is if I'm an example of the growth. And yeah. so I let everyone know completely before I was writing this book, I'm writing it, and I would like to include your, you being a part of my life in this. And if you're okay with it, let me know right now. If you're not, then I'm going to have to figure out a way to still sell your story but switch your name. Yeah. And every single person was like, we already figured you'd be honest about it. So I wasn't worried about anyone, to be honest. You were good about it. Good. And there was one subject in there that you decided that you needed to pull back on. So I didn't talk about my mother being abused in detail because my father used to um, hit her because she's still healing. And mm -hmm. so as I was writing, I was noticing that it was bringing up a lot of emotions that she hadn't healed from yet. So I was like, you know what? I'm not trying to trigger my mother. I love my mother. Yeah. So let me just roll back and help her with 
you know, the tools so that she could support herself. And then with my suicide attempt, I figured I don't need to go into detail about that because if someone else is reading it, I don't need them to say, oh, this is how I can do it. Yeah. I wanted to instead stop at a certain point and then say, if you're having these feelings or if you know some of these feelings, here are resources you can use. Yeah. Because a lot of times people don't do that. Yeah. And I'm like, if you pick up this book, here's a way you can get the help. Yeah. Was there something that happened while you were writing where you thought you were over something and you had worked through something, but then writing this book, you almost had to reactivate it and re like like reconfront it because um, you talk about a lot of things in the book especially about your name and being gay mm -hmm. and being all these things sometimes we don't take on you know we don't take it on fully yes we kind of brush over it yes. we say we're fine but yeah. we're not yes. is there anything in this book where you were writing it so Yes, but not really because I do the work on myself. I mean, like career-wise, that's the reason I think I'm so good on Queer Eyes because having a background in psychotherapy and social work, I can do the digging, and I've done the digging on myself. The one thing I would say that kind of triggered me a little bit was when I got to the colorism chapter because mm -hmm. I talked about how my skin tone, my grandmother used to say to me, don't darken up her family anymore, which, you know, she comes from a certain time where you to be lighter meant that you could ha attain more success. And so when I was writing that, it brought up these feelings again because through social media, I get these comments because I'm engaged to a white man. Yeah. That somehow me being engaged to a white man has somehow diminished my experience as a black man in this world, and it bothers me. Mm. Like people say, oh, you dating a white guy, so you all of a sudden have lost part of your blackness. And I'm like, when I walk out in the world, people don't see me with a white man. They see a black man. Yeah. And when the police stop me, they don't say, oh, you're dating a white guy? We'll let you go. We'll, we'll let you go. You're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. Go have a kiki somewhere <laughs> and a drink. No, they say you're still a black man. And that's what gets on my nerves. And so when I was writing that, I realized that there are still issues with my color that you know, it's it's a different form of colorism, but there's parts of it that still bother me. Because it's um, in a race. It's, yeah. Exactly. It's in a race. Yes, completely. You know, it's funny because when I first came out, I think people had a problem with me being gay. But now that I've come out, and in the past I've dated a white guy, and when I go home with said guy, they mm -hmm. now look at me because I'm in an interracial relationship. You're from Houston, Texas. That probably still happens to you. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Everywhere I go. Like, the minute we pop up. This what really gets me. People somehow think that he put me on. Mm. I'm like... Let me, let me back, let me back you up a little bit. Let me back you up real quick, okay? My man is successful, but my man had no hand in giving me the career, the success, the money in my bank account. And it bothers me when we go out and people assume my career is somehow because of something he's done. Yeah. I'm like, have y'all lost y'all mind? Meanwhile, he's like a doctor somewhere else. And like, <laughs> Don't have, like, worry about him. Don't, yeah, like, yeah. He, he's not worried about this. You know what I'm saying? Don't come from Mr. Calhoun. Exactly. Well, let's remind people where you started. Yes. Because Real World Philadelphia was everything. Yes. You were the first black openly gay man on television. What was that experience? Like? Reality television. Reality television. Because Mother Rue, Father Rue, was the first. Was the let's, first. let's be very real. Um, but in reality television. And when that title came out, I didn't even know that. All of a sudden, people started writing that. And I was like, what are y'all talking about? Rue been around forever. <laughs> right? And then I was like, oh, reality television. Got it. Um, and what was it like? It's it, it's 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 sad and it's also exciting because I was on the real world in 2004, 2005. Why in the hell has there never been an openly gay black man cast before me? Yeah, that's a problem. 
For sure. Because we have been around. Let me tell you something. I go to Atlanta. I go to Chicago. I go to New York. I go to Texas. I go to Tennessee. And black gay men are around, thriving, doing the most amazing, setting culture, setting trends. Yet, I was the first. So it kind of disappointed me because I was like, there should have been 20 before me, 30 yeah. before me. But then on the same rate, I was like, well, I'm glad that I could kick open the door so that now there could be more people. And then I'm going to continue to kick open that door. And also I'm going to continue that every other brother that is um, gay, I'm mm. going to say, come up with me. Let's let's do this together. I Let me applaud you. Let me celebrate you. Let's, let's do this. We don't do that very often. You know what? Many don't, but many do. You do, I do, and I think it's important that we encourage those who are on their journey yeah. to loving themselves and to loving others to know that we support them and that they'll get there. Yeah. No, in 2004, people weren't living that loud. We were still no. kind of in the closet. We, we were. were still... Let me tell you something. No, 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 Oprah said we was in the closet. Let me tell you something. I was out in the club, running in the street. Oh, no, you were doing in it. In oversized Sean John jeans and Timberlands and a Nietzsche shirt. <laughs> That whole outfit sounds hacky. I need y'all to put together like a little collage <laughs> of what outfit. that would look like. Exactly. It was but a mess. When you go on TV and you live your life like that, and then the reality stops and you're back in your real reality. Yes. What was the what was the, I guess what was the backlash? Because you know, with my family, it's like you can be gay, you can be you, we support you, but the minute you put it out there, mm -hmm. it's a little bit harder. Yes. That and that's exactly it. I had family members who immediately were turned off from speaking to me. My father and I, we already had a rocky relationship because he couldn't reconcile our relationship with his religion. And so because he he believed his God was teaching him that somehow I was not perfectly designed and not made in his eyes, he figured, I can't talk to you. But then on top of that, me putting it out on television embarrassed him. And so he didn't want to talk to me. We got into physical altercations. It was bad. And there was other family members. You know, I come from a Jamaican and Cuban house. Yeah. So it's like the black culture, Jamaican culture, Cuban culture, which unfortunately there are members that subscribe to this sort of ideal of what it is to be a man. Yeah. And then me being proud and well-spoken on national television somehow didn't define me as a man because of the fact that I had intimate relationships with other men. And you were the only son. And I'm the only son. And so, you know, it was, it was hard. But then on the flip side, which I tried to do was focus on all the people who love me. Like, I was just showered with so much love. I'd be getting letters and letters and letters from people saying, oh my gosh, I love you. You're amazing. MySpace messages. Ooh. DMs. DMs. <laughs> it was good. It was good. But I'm not going to lie. It, I took a dark path quickly because I felt like I lost myself because trying to battle the family and the good of here, trying to be something more at the age of 23 was a lot. Yeah. And so it got it got rough real quick. Oh, she black, Jamaican, and Cuban? That sucks is good. I mean, you better, you better show up with a PPO for somebody. <laughs> there be, better be an ambulance waiting outside. I just can't even imagine. What and he's on top. I'm yes. like, what? I almost passed out right here. I'm like, I need y'all to clear the room. Uh, <laughs> you were living your best life. Living my best life. My favorite line in this whole book, I found it, is when you said, Molly, you in danger, girl. Okay. When you're, I'm not, I'm not even gonna explain it for people. I'm gonna let you explain it to them because it was one of the most profound things that I've read. Yes. What was that moment like for you? When I found my drug of choice? Yes. Oh my gosh. But I, tell me your history. Yes. So, I mean, my father, being a Rastafarian and Jamaican, um, used weed. 
he recreationally, and so it was always in my house. Shaba. Okay. <laughs> and I loved it. I, I loved trying weed because it made me feel social, when, and I got it the first time from him. So it was a weird experience of like not having to go to a corner to get weed, just being able to say, let me walk in my dad's room and get weed. And But then I realized I didn't like the feeling of it. I didn't like being lethargic. I didn't like... It was a downer. It was a downer. I didn't like it. So then I started trying... No, 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 no. You weren't going in your dad's closet to get some weed. He had a basketball side. Oh, yeah. He, well, he did. Donk. He did. He did have a, he's, he had the one by his bed, but he also had like a basketball in the freezer. This. Yeah. Like big of weed in the freezer. And so I would just open up the bag. And I would be like, with my friends, be like, oh, how much do we need today? And I would just take it out the bag. And so it was easy for me to access it. But I didn't like the downer feeling of it. And then I stopped that because I never had an addictive personality towards that, but though I had an addictive personality. Um, so then I started Molly and Ecstasy. And that was cute for like the first couple of times. I was like, yes, I feel like someone would rub up on me. And I was like, yes, we are living. Ooh. And then as I would have to take two, three pills to have that same feeling, I was like, ugh, you're sweaty. You're gross. It ain't cute. And then I got introduced to cocaine. And that's when I said, you in danger, girl. And how old were you when you got introduced to that drug? 25. And who was the bitch that brought it to you? Because at this point, let's remind people: if when you, when you go when you go read this book, he is now on the pre, you're on the press tour, you're in the club appearances, the club appearances, you're, doing you're living all this. your best life as yes. Karamo from, from the real, real world. world. Yes, and you started out on this journey. You're six three. You in between 193 and 210 pounds, mm -hmm. and you get introduced to cocaine. Yes, what's that first feeling like? Amazing. I felt so good because my personality is I'm naturally hyper excited. I have a bit of OCD. I'm also type A. So it's like it amplified who I loved being anyway. You so were partying. You partying. were organizing people. I'm shit. organized people's stuff. I, my life is organized. I'm just like, why do I have so much energy? Why is everything so good? Oh my gosh. Like, let's let's get this book done. Let's also help this. Let's, oh, she's working for the federal government. Thank you. I could point. do everything. I could do everything. Like, seriously, it was. It was, and this is what I say in the book, I'm not glorifying, glorifying cocaine at all because what I, the reason I said you endanger girls because when you meet yourself, you're introduced to a drug that meets your personality, that you love, that, that starts to make you feel good about who you are, it, it's a problem because now I don't want to lose that person. Yeah. And so even though there was extreme highs, there was extreme lows because I'd be doing it for a good three, four days. And then like once I stopped, I'd wake up and I'd feel depressed. I'd be like, why do I feel like I want to jump out this bridge? Why, why, do I, why do I feel so sad? What's going on? And it was because I was doing so much and I was just having these extreme highs and extreme lows. And it was hard. How many years did you stay on that drug? Um, until I became a father, so um, four years. How much money do you think you wasted? Boo. Let me tell you something. Let's get a calculator I talk, out. Okay. <laughs> Let's get a calculator out. <laughs> like this. Um, I, I talk about in the book, I was so irresponsible. I can't even believe it. I used to give my drug man my ATM card because I was like, I used to order big bags. So I used to order an eight ball which was like an eighth of cocaine. So yes. um, I would give him my ATM card and be like, just take the money out. Just bring me back the bag. You would give him the pin? The pin. Just go. Just go. And I actually had an, it set on the ATM where he, a fast cash where he could just press that number. Wait. 
wait. You were so organized. So organized. You had I your had drug. De- you had your drug dealer get a copy of your debit card, and he didn't even have to think about it. He could just press fast, fast cash. cash, and it had the right amount for the drug. That's how it would be. Because I would be in the club, and I was like, well, I don't want to leave the club. So I'm like, you go get it. And the fast cash had the amount for the drug, and then the amount for his gas, and a little extra so that he could always keep doing it. So it was like, bitch, you had your drug dealer on auto pay. Auto pay <laughs> before auto pay was a thing. <laughs> You created auto pay. I did. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> what was that rock bottom for you? Oh, because I can tell you what it was for me reading this book. Okay. I was like, wait, if you hadn't hit rock bottom yet, this motherfucker said in this book that his boyfriend at the time, Trey, it's always a Trey, a Troy, or a Josh. <laughs> that was my best friend. Yeah. My boyfriend. Best Never. Friend. What's yeah. the boyfriend's name? Um, I can't say his name. Okay. Yet. But uh-huh. that was a boyfriend. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who had left you for a minute. He did. But you knew he was okay because he was using the fast cash button <laughs> and taking out some <laughs> Because he it went beyond for him. Yes. It wasn't just. Yes. He, my, my poor boyfriend at the time, he, we started with the cocaine, but then he started using other drugs. And the funny part is he didn't tell me because I would judge other people, the audacity of me. I would see people who were doing other stuff and I'd be like, how, oh, that's so tacky. That you're, you're, you're doing math? Oh, my gosh. Like, oh. Like, just do a bump in the bathroom and get back to the party. Like, you're you're in that corner, like, itching yourself and scratching your face. Like, I was that judgmental hoe as if, like, I was better. Meanwhile, your jaw's out. My jaw's out. I'm, I'm like, grinding like this. I'm, like, in the party like that. Hey, everybody. Hey, what's going on? Like, what's going on? Um, it was uh, inappropriate. But he started doing more drugs. And because he heard me shaming other people, he didn't feel comfortable in telling me because he didn't want me to say anything. So he disappeared and I was heartbroken. But because he was still using my ATM, I mean, my bank account taking money out of the ATM, I was like, oh, well, he's alive. And so in my mind, I was like, as long as he's using my money, it's fine because at least I know he's safe and maybe one day he'll come back. But don't you feel there was some comfort almost that you weren't the only one being a mess? Like this guy who you started oh this journey gosh, with is still a mess, so I'm fine. Oh my gosh, you love the company because no one's gonna judge you. That's the whole thing. When you're the reason you do drugs around other people who love using drugs is because you know they're not gonna judge you. How you don't know anybody who's gonna be like, well, I want to do a line of cocaine around a whole bunch of sober people because you know the sober people will judge you. And I think at the core, when we can establish that emotion, yes, that's what it was. I knew he's still doing his stuff, so he's not going to judge me for doing my stuff. He's not going to judge me for having bad days, feeling rock bottom. And so you feel comforted in the fact that you're not being judged. But what I realized is in that judgment, if handled properly, I could have gotten the support I needed so that I could have grown through that addiction. But you're a well-aware guy. Mm-hmm. You were well aware about your name at five. You were well aware of who you were when you were 10. There's so many moments where you're so you know, self-reflective. Why did you not see yourself going down this path, knowing that you had addiction in your, your history? Because it was so fun. And I was 22, and I didn't want to face the... F- I mean, I faced it. I knew it was wrong, but it was fun. And it started off as a social 
fun thing to do. You know what I mean? No one starts off doing drugs saying, I want to get addicted and waste all my money and be in a coma somewhere. Yeah. No one starts that way. You start off at a party or at Coachella saying, oh yeah, try this. It's going to like make the party better. And then you're like, okay, why not? I trust you. Yes. So I was aware that it could lead somewhere. But then once you're in the darkness, you can't it's hard to find the path back out. And that was the problem. I was so far in the darkness that I was like, well, I don't even know where to go. You were so far in the darkness that you were doing bumps in a car with your mom in the front seat. Mother in the front seat. It was one of those days where she looked, we were New Year's Eve, we were going to a party, and um, I w we were getting ready, and I was like bumping it up, and we got in the car with my best friend and one of my girlfriends, and my mother was in the front seat because she's one of my best friends. She was going to come with us to the party. And I was like, well, I need a bump before we go on this party. Like, I'm not walking in here without a quick little, right? And so I'm like, well, we're about to pull over. I was like, well, let me do a bump. And she turned around and looked at me so disgusted. Like, I cannot believe you. I cannot believe you. And to this moment, I still get very emotional because I think, how could I disrespect my mother like that? How was I disrespecting myself? Yeah. It was just sad. You know, it was just sad. Do you still believe that you were that person? Like, do you ever look back and you say, I just can't believe I went there? No, but I'm happy I went there. I got to tell you, I am very happy I went through and I'm happy that I went through and I grew through it because in my career now, I help people navigate their relationships. And if it wasn't for me being able to go through that, when I'm not an addiction specialist, yeah, but I can say I know what it's like to have an addiction and people try to support you and you not willing to take that support. And I also know what it's like being sober saying I want to help someone and they're not ready yet mm -hmm. so i understand the path now and can speak to it very authentically in a way that i couldn't before and when did you decide that you're gonna turn this around um the minute because four years is a long time bitch and yeah. you were six three 178 pounds is what i read when i was done when oh yeah done. oh my gosh i was so skinny but, but you thought you were fine oh <laughs> like that's it's the craziest thing. Let me tell you something. My mind was so warped. That's because seven jeans was the cute thing back then. And seven jeans came in. So a 34 was really a 30 waist. Yeah. And so I would walk in there in my seven jeans or my true religions. And I was like, well, I need a 34. And when I first tried them on, this is, you got to remember the time. So, you know, it was tacky. It's tacky now. It wasn't then. But um, I walked in there and I was like, this 34 ain't fitting over my ass. And then <laughs> more bumps I was doing. I was like, oh, this 34 is cute. Ready. Like, I am I am snatched for the gods today. Oh, my gosh. I started seeing my cheekbones. I'm like, in the mirror, like. Meanwhile, you're looking like Halle Berry and Jungle Fever. And Jungle Fever. Just a mess. A mess. A mess. <laughs> A mess, but it is what it is. And what was that turning point? It was because when I became a father. Okay, that when I became a father, you're living your best life. You had been on the real semi world. best life, semi best life <laughs> at that point. You'd been on the real world. You're doing club appearances. You're partying. You're in gay relationships. You're having sex. You're living the best single best life, single life that you thought you were living. And all of a sudden, a girlfriend calls you from the past and says, yo, you have a 10-year-old son. Yes. Well, she didn't call me. I came home, and there was a stack of papers on my doorstep for back child support. So you walk, okay? So you walk up, and it's on your doorstep. And there goes the Maury Povich. Okay? And there goes the Maury Povich part of it. I was like, so to be honest with you, I thought, there was, remember that show, um, Punked? Punked? Yes. 
I thought Ashton Kutcher was in my house. And Ashton Kutcher was fine to me back then. You were ready. Ready. I went downstairs. I changed outfits because I was about to meet Ashton Kutcher. And Ashton Kutcher didn't know that he was about to be my baby daddy. Wait, wait, wait. He had no idea. You really thought at this point, because you were still high. I'm still high. I literally just come home from an event where I was high. Like, I was just at a three-day event, um, real-world spring break event, where I was drinking and smoking and doing bumps. So I was high on my mind, still. And so when I see the paperwork, I'm like, I have not seen a vagina since 1995. There is no way that there is a child for me. So this has to be a practical joke. So if this is a practical joke, it means my baby daddy's in my house. And so if my baby daddy's in my house, I need to look cute because I'm in sweats right now. And the Sean John um, gray velour suit I had on was not going to cut it. So I had to go downstairs. Not for Ashton. Not for Ashton. So I had to go downstairs and change into a cute outfit for Ashton because he was in my house. And I literally ran downstairs. Uh, it's so funny because I wish there was cameras because they would have saw my stupid ass run down to the garage to change to come back upstairs. And walked in that house and my baby daddy wasn't in there. Just was, the reality that just the you rea- had a child. <laughs> you had a child. And this child was now 10 years old. Yeah. We were 15 at the time. She was my best friend. And she moved away. I moved away because my parents got divorced. And I never thought of her ever again because after that point, we had sex. It lasted three minutes. And I said, I don't want to do this again. I'm, I'm comfortable with never doing this again. Like, whatever that is, I think someone else will enjoy it. But I'm thoroughly sure that I do not enjoy that. And that's the point you knew that you were gay. I knew before, but that was the little stamp of approval and confirmation I needed. You knew before because you knew or you knew before because you had played around with somebody and you just knew that what the jam was. I mean like there was no never planned when yeah, you were like in. yeah but it was never sex experiment. It, it was just everything Yeah it was else. like it was like you know mm. like mm. Come here, Timmy. Come here. Yeah, that type of stuff. This isn't gay, Timmy. Yeah, yeah that. That Timmy, was no, it. no, it's fine. Just close your eyes. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. And so when, once me and her did, it was like, mm, I don't want to do this. Never yeah. again. Yeah. And so she moved away. So I thought, like, there's no possible way. There's no possible way. So when I saw the stack of papers and I started to look through them and I saw her name and I saw my son's name and I saw my name, I was like, this is a really elaborate joke. And it's not funny. Like, I am not in this mind space to be able to deal with this. Like, this is not okay. And then had to go on this journey to go p- confirm paternity, first of all. They wouldn't give me her information. I had to confirm paternity. I had to fly back to Texas. And um, once paternity was confirmed, literally the woman behind the desk, this is the Maury. She was like, next, you ought to father the information in there. And I was like, uh, ma'am, can I? Uh, she was like, little boy, the information's in there. Get out of my face. And I was like, okay. Can, right. can I get some counseling? I know something. Can I get some help? You're like, you know, hello. Any, anything? And so she didn't have a phone in there, so I showed up on her doorstep. And dun, dun, dun. She opened the door and had no idea that I was going to be showing up. She just thought she was getting a check. She was going, applying for child, I mean, um, welfare benefits for her other children. And the state found me. So she had no intention of coming after me. Yeah. This is kind of serendipitous, though, that she was going to live her life with her kids and never tell you how happy are you that the state kind of came for your ass? Okay. Like, <laughs> we're, literally we're, came we're, for you. We're both very happy because she needed the support and I needed to step up and do what was right. Having children allowed me to get back on the path, but it was one of those things where, you know, we were kids at the time, so neither of us had the tools on to know how to handle it. Like if we were 22, 25, 30, we might have been able to handle 
finding out that there was a child, paternity, a little different. But we were kids. So now there's adults making decisions for us. Yeah. And so we needed each other. And that's why today she and I still have a great relationship because yeah, we were I'm able mad. to forgive each other. Don't be mad. Don't be mad. I would be mad. Uh-uh. I can't be mad. I can't be mad at someone who doesn't have, have the tools or the language to do what's best for everyone. And meaning her, the child, me. She didn't have the tools or language. And that's what a lot of problem is. Because sometimes we get into these relationships with people in our lives. And we expect them to have the tools they don't have. Mm -hmm. And then we get upset when they react differently. Mm -hmm. And none of us have taken the time to say, do you even have the tools to have, to have this conversation? Do you even have the tools to engage in this relationship? And then if you were to ask that question, most of the time they'd be like, I don't. Yeah, but we just assume. So then, when we assume, we get upset. Yeah, and so I couldn't be upset at someone who didn't have the tools to say, "Let me contact you. Let's have a communication. Let's talk about this." But do you ever wonder what those first ten years are like? I don't. I don't. I don't. Because luckily, because Ko Kodak is cute, and I have photos, and I'm like, "Oh, look! Oh, I saw you when you was pooping all over the place. Glad I missed that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna front and pretend like, oh." I, of course, you always want to be there, but I, I saw the photos, and I've now had, he's 22 now, I've had all these years of having full custody of him that we've had new experiences, and every day we have new experiences, like all the things he does, and so it's amazing, and it, it happened exactly how it needed to happen, because truth be told, I might not be sitting here if we would have been that ghetto love story of us co-parenting at 15 years old. Let's be real. The universe had this trajectory happen the way it needed to because I might not have been comfortable to let people into my life regarding my sexuality. I might have never been able to finish high school or graduate because she, she didn't get to finish high school. Um, I might not have been able to go to college. I might not have been able to have the, travel the world. Mm -hmm. I would have never applied for real world. I would have never, none of this stuff could have possibly happened because I would have been worried about how do I raise a child and take care of my baby mama. Yeah. But because I had the opportunity, I then took custody so that she could begin to have her life. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And you also did something else, mm -hmm. which I commend you because I don't even know if I'm claiming my own motherfucking children at this point. <laughs> but he has a younger brother. Yes. Who was from a different father. Yes. And you stepped up to the plate. Mm -hmm. What was that conversation like with yourself? Um, because well, let me just say this. Yes. We live in a society that's about looking out for number one, doing only what you have to do, and to take on another child as your own is a really big step for, what? how old were you at this point? Oh, I was probably 30 at this point now. At this point, you're like, I'm going to take you as well. Mm-hmm. What was that conversation? Well, first of all, I don't have a problem with people looking out for themselves. I think that every conversation needs to start with I. You know, when you're on a plane, they say if it's going down, you put your mask on first before you help someone else. See. So I don't have that that issue with people saying, how can I make myself happy and how can I be successful? 
So at the point where I decided that I wanted to take in my youngest son was because I had already dealt, dealt with me. I was healthy, happy, good. I had money. There was a place. And I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. And so it wasn't supposed to be um, long term. It was supposed to be temporary. He was supposed to just come in for a couple of weeks. And it was supposed to be like, okay, let's get some things in order over here. Let's get yeah. you back on the track. And then go back. Because at this point, he was living in Texas with your baby mama, and you were living in Los Angeles with your older no, son. No, I was still in Texas. You're I had moved back yet. Okay. Yes, I had moved back yet because I wanted my son to not be just ripped out of his life. So I wanted him to be around my family and his mother's, his family. mother's family. So, you know, that he could see both units co-parenting, talking, working. And so the youngest came in and it was supposed to be like, okay, we'll do this for three weeks. Three weeks turned into a month, a month turned to six, six turned to a year. And then all of a sudden he one day came in and was like, hey, dad, can I go skateboard? And I was like, dad, oh, I got two children. Yeah. And that was it. Damn. And I went to her and I said, can I take him in? And she said, being probably one of the, the most special people I've ever met, said, you can give him things that I can't give him right now. Not love, but things like to support his education and other things. She was like, as long as you keep us a family unit, make sure we always co-parent, that he is always involved, that I'm involved, let's give it to him. We asked him. He said yes. And then she's been involved. Like, even though she lives in Texas, we talk every day. You have been touched by an angel. Della Reese touched you at some point in your life. And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, Della Reese touched your ass because I don't know who you are. I'm like, am I talking to you or Iyama at this point? Because you are fixing my life. Look, I can barely find a man and I don't even have two cats. Well, we was going to talk about that because before this, you like to date men that are not in your vicinity, but we're not going to go there because I'm always trying to figure out what is happening. Why is there a fear of commitment there? What is going on? I don't think there's a fear of commitment. I think there is a nice... When you're on TV and people know you're on TV, yes. there's two things that happen. One, they automatically think that you are solely the person that they see on TV. Yes. So they take that character, which is me, but a heightened version of me. When I'm gossiping with my girls, I kiki like the ladies that are like, that's who I am. The second thing is, I feel like people are always looking out for what they can get out of you. Mm-hmm. And that's a fear of mine because I feel like when I'm going to marry, it's going to be forever. Mm -hmm. And I also like an import. I like a dude that is not hooked up with five of my friends. <laughs> I like a dude who wasn't on the circuit. I like a dude who's kind of fresh and who I'm learning from and who I'm growing with. But I have a whole summer left. Mm -hmm. I have one whole summer. I like that. I my like whole summer that. got ripped away from me last <laughs> summer because I was in a relationship. But I just need one summer where I can do my thing. Aren't you going to miss that, being in a relationship? No, I don't miss whole summers. Whole summers are exhausting, okay? Well, but first of all, let's let's back up really quick before we go into my whole summer. Yeah. There was a couple of things you said of that is a fear of yours, of somebody taking advantage of you. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that when we make fear-based decisions and not love-based decisions, we're limiting ourselves. So I would challenge you to think about the fact that you're making a decision out of fear and not out of love. Love for yourself and out of love for the future you know you're destined to have. And secondly, when you say you like an import because they haven't slept with five of your friends or they haven't been on the circuit, that doesn't mean they haven't been on the circuit or slept with people where they're at. You're just avoiding that conversation. So whether you have that conversation with someone here or someone overseas, that still goes into the fact of do you have the ability to trust that someone will be able to not continue that behavior? 
Bitch, this is just a sip, not just a sofa. I'm not on your couch in your office. Okay, just you can't psychoanalyze me and make me cry at my own just show. tell you, boo. This is my show. You coming to my house party in a little bit. I'm going to hook you up. Oh. You might not have that whole summer messing around with me. Don't do it to me, but do it to me. Okay. <laughs> you might not have that whole summer. <laughs> um, I don't miss whole summers. I'm going to tell you. I don't miss whole summers at all. Because you all. lived your best life. And we had porn. Yes. So, like, anytime I want to have a whole summer, I promise you, all you have to do is spend five minutes on the internet, and then Only I fans. feel like I okay, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I cheated, but I didn't. I'm still in the comfort of my home, and now I don't have to worry about nobody getting up and leaving and trying to have an explanation with my partner. It's like I literally could have a full on-born relationship with somebody from the internet, meaning like a porn star, and never meet in them. my mind, and never meet them, and never meet them, never meet them. Do you and your partner have a close relationship? Closed? Yes. Yes. 100%. Would you ever, because I mean, you're Jamaican and Cuban. Y'all are jealous motherfuckers. Yes. Would you ever open up that relationship? No. At all. You don't think it's for you? It's not for me because I tried it. I tried it. And let me tell you something. I don't know where that we got this conclusion that threesomes are fun. They're not. They're not. Because hey, if you get if you're the guest. Let star. me tell you something. There's always somebody who's gonna get left out. There is just too much trying to finagle, like what happens here, what goes next. Y'all play with it if you want to. I'm telling you, it is not fun at all. I am okay. Anybody who wants to do it, go for it. But no, no, no. And then secondly, you know what? I don't want to have to. I'm in a point right now where I like house parties. I like having people come to my house. I like us having adult grown stuff. Yeah. And I just don't want the confusion of other people coming to the house and feeling like they're going to be a part of it. If you didn't have kids, would I? Because mm -hmm. sometimes be an kids change. Yeah, kids change your mind about things. No, I, I'm telling you, it's really because of those other reasons. I just don't want to do it. The thing is, like right now, we, we there's a comfort of like I don't ever have to worry about him doing anything to disrespect the future we're building together. Because our communication is on point. And I, I like that comfort. It feels very nice. And I think that humans, we mimic nature. And nature, people, there's not many animals in nature who have these overly sexualized relationships. A lot of people, animals in nature, they just see rabbits up. all the time. Okay. I'm a rabbit. Okay. I might be a rabbit at this point. Rabbit have sex with one person. One other rabbit is what I mean. You know what I mean? have to fact check that. Okay, fact check I it. have to call Earth and okay, figure this out. I would hate to be married to you. Would you? I would hate it. Because you know what? To get in a fight with you would we, mean that we would have to go down a road and you would have to psychoanalyze it. Uh, and then you would bring it back to my childhood. Like, do you do that in your relationship? I did it last night while walking the dog. I swear to God, I should call Ian right now. We were walking the dog. And I said, what is your fear of the future? And we went down this road and we got halfway to the house and I, he was like, I was like, well, we're almost there. And he was like, you just finish this off because I'm done with this conversation. Damn. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I will. I'll figure it out. Meanwhile, uh, you're like, no, we're just having a short talk. Your dog is dragging behind okay. you. It's like out of breath. It can't walk no more. <laughs> How do you, but it's true. You fix people for a living. Yes. That's what you do. Yes. How do you not bring that into your relationship? You do. That's why I'm in a healthy relationship. That's why he's engaged. Okay? That ring cute, right? How'd you meet? But David Yerman. I saw him walking out of the club and I saw his ass on West Hollywood. And I literally went and picked him up because, and he started hitting me on the head and was like, put me down. He sat down. He turned around. He was like, oh, you're fine. And I was like, yeah, let's get it on. And inseparable. Inseparable. Well, I wanted to hook up that night. He wouldn't. 
Okay. And so I was like, well, I'm having a party. Come to the party. And he was like, okay, I'll be there. You know, I'll do this. Because I rented out this big house. And then he didn't show. And Shot so, to your ego. To the ego. And so I was like, everyone was like, just let it go. I mean, like, you know, some random guy. And I was like, hell no. I'm a grown ass man. You do not just ghost me. You can have communication with me of why you didn't want to come, but you just do not show up. When I done told my mama and my aunties that the man that I'm in love with is coming. Like, and I told my best friend he got this big old booty. Okay, he, he got like, this big old booty and he's not coming and you're not coming. And so I called him like three days later and he got on the phone. He was like, can I help you? And I was Ooh. like, Yes, why did you not show up to my party? I think that was very disrespectful. We had a communication. He was like, I went on Facebook, and it said you in a relationship, and I don't mess with people like that. Like, how tired of you to pick me up, try to take me home that night, and then invite me to your party, and you got a boyfriend. And I was like, excuse me? I just had never changed my status on Facebook. And that's why I don't f with Facebook. Amen. That's why I f with the gram. Okay. Because <laughs> I can hide my okay. man in a story <laughs> for 24 hours and let it disappear. <laughs> for that. I was like, I don't got a man. He was like, oh, well, I'm on my way. Done. And, so, and done. And, and we knock boots. And we have been inseparable since. And it's still steamy. Still steamy. You're still knocking it. it ha you have to still be knocking But how do you keep it hot eight years in? Communication. And that's key. I, people are afraid to say, listen, when we first met, I liked this position, but now it is 10 years later, and maybe I like this. Let me tell you something. There's no way that you could be watching porn and your body change, and you don't have new communications about what you like in the bedroom. You think porn is healthy? I do think porn is healthy. Why not? I think, first of all, these are trained actors who are doing stunts and shows. You better learn something from them. Okay, you better learn something from them, all right? <laughs> or don't try everything at home. Like, there should be warnings like that, but, like, try some stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lie. I took out a trick one time. I was like, I would just try this when I saw. I was like, hup, hup, do. Okay, ah. do it real and quick. And he was like, I love you. Let's get a Birkin. I'm okay, like, I was like, yes, it works. Yes. It I'm works. You, it works. I advocate for porn. But, I advocate, but porn with communication. Okay, so wait, we'll say this, so when we were when we first started, we liked certain things, and now... There are certain things that have evolved because it is more important for the foreplay to be a little bit longer than it was before. When we were younger, it was like, come in the house, let's go. Now it's like, let's be more connected. Let's do things that are going to let that linger out a little bit more mm -hmm. so there's more intimacy there before we get dressed into the sex. Yeah. And that's the evolution, but it's only because we talked about it. But I feel like the porn situation is almost too close to home because you'll see that mother on that screen and it's all good. But then you'll walk into a club and you'll see him pass. It's almost too close. That only happens in L.A. Nowhere else in the world does that happen, okay? That's our problem in L.A. Let me tell you something. You know what I mean? Yes, that, that, that does happen here. You'll see somebody in the porn. You'll be like, oh, you're at the club. Okay. Right? So that's why I don't go to the club no more. I sit in my house, and they don't get invited to my house parties. You're a fine-ass chocolate man. Thank you. You're you tall. Too. You too. You're well-spoken. You too. You got this aura about you. I know there are dudes in your DMs Const time and time again. Constantly. Tons. But how do you, like, because I would be, I would be clicking on the blurred pictures. Yeah. How does that not make you second guess, like, what you're doing? Well, I click on the photo. You oh you go still see the photo yeah who you sent me a photo I'm gonna look at it okay let, let, let's be clear let me tell you something first of all but this is my problem before I get into this th that answer let me tell people out there PSA there is such thing as an ugly penis yes so please stop sending your penis if it's ugly because I don't know why people think every penis is attractive no male or female wants to see your ugly penis 
you need to get with your tribe and say, is my penis ugly before you send any more dick pics is all I want you to know. So yes, they send them. And yes, I'll look. Do I respond? No, I do not. Do I also let my partner know I look? Yes, I do. Do we have a kiki together about what was just sent to me? Yes, we do. And that's the way you keep the honesty and keep it honest and open because I'm not hiding from you. I'm not hiding. I don't need, see, there, it's something devious where now I'm hiding. If I can, so before we started, you know, Instagram and everything, we had conversations about, hey, if someone's hitting on me, how do we approach this conversation? Before so we, you started the show. Before we started, we set the boundaries of like, do you want to know? Do you not want to know? What do you want to know about the way that people try to interact with me? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I will never interact back with them, but I want you to know I will look. Yeah. So let's be clear about what do you need in the boundaries of our relationship? You see how this communication stuff works? I'm telling you, people need to stop being afraid of speaking their truth. I'm not afraid. So I'm going to say, I'm going to look. But what do you need? Yeah. Do you need to see? Do you need to know? And he's like, oh, yeah, let's look together. Right. And I'm like, okay, great. So he sees it. And then he says, just make sure you never type back. And I'm like, don't even worry about that. Because why would I type back and jeopardize what I have? Because you love what you have. I love what I have. I just need to be on that um, that text chain, the Kiki text chain, where the photos go. Oh, yeah. And your boys can laugh oh, at yeah, them. Oh, yeah, you get that I need one. to be on you that, that Kiki text chain. We're going to put the on that one. I, That's called the aunties. Yes. yes I need yes, to be on the okay, aunties. The aunties yeah. um, I hate it when I read a book and then people don't further the mission. Because mm -hmm. this book was actually to help people. Yes. When I read Yama's book, it's to help people. The mission keeps on going. The mission keeps on going. You're taking this to the next step. You have a podcast. I do have a podcast. Um, my first episode was with my castmate. And um, that episode is really, really special because um, the episode's about conflict. And then my castmate from Queer Eye, Anthony, people didn't know that we had an extreme amount of conflict. Um, we did not talk to each other at all during season one, even though we were shooting together. Because you were in interviews and you were doing press and you yes. were saying, oh my God, we love each other. All five of us are so, you know, dandy. Uh -huh. We're brothers. You and Anthony started out as Kim and Chloe. Y'all had some, some heat. Yes. Y'all had we some did. animosity. We did. We did. So by the time we got to the interviews, so there's two things at play here. When we were on camera, we always, before we would go on camera, would say to each other, this is not about us. It's about this person. And so we always had a clear intention of like when we're walking through, it's about helping them. And so that was big for us because a lot of people can't separate their personal issues with the job they're doing. And he and I never had that issue. But how did the beef start? It started before we were on our camera. We were, we, you know, we were five strangers when we met. And so you put five strangers together that had natural chemistry together, but now we have to interact every day. And some personalities just don't get along. And our personalities got along, but then a third party got involved that started to heighten conversations that were had. And once that third party got involved, he and I couldn't even talk to each other because we were too busy hearing rumors of what this third party was spreading about both of us that we was like, Someone oh, in the house. Someone in house. Another castmate. No, not another castmate. Somebody no, no, in production. No. Um, somebody who was close to it. Did the production ever step in and say, yo, this is showing up on camera. You guys need a... No, because it never showed up on camera. And that was the thing about Auntie Nye, and that's why I, we, I respect him and we're close friends now. Because we were both able to say, 
what is our intention? Our intention is to make sure that we help people. We got this show not for our own drama. We got the show because we want to help people. So production never knew because on camera, it was about the person and about creating something successful. And so that was genuine. But off camera, the minute that camera stopped rolling, girl, don't come near me. Ooh. It was, and, and vice versa. He didn't want me to come near him. By the way, you know, if it was me, I'd be on set being like, oh, yeah, this guacamole is cute, but it needs some... I wish I could shade his food. His food is really good. So I couldn't shade it. But yeah, we we just did not. And then by the time we started doing press, because we shot the show and then there was a couple of months off and then we had come back, we had already reconciled. So by the time we had did press for season one, we were like really, truly friends. But out of the five, but out of the five, did it ever get to a point where it was Karamo's side, Anthony's side? Um... uh, Maybe for a not a Karamo side and maybe a little bit. The other guys really tried not to get involved. They just were like, they they just did not want to really get involved. To yeah. be honest with you, like I I want to. I wish there was like a, a clear divide. Um, Jonathan was just very much in between. You know, me and him was like, let's. What do y'all gotta do to figure this out? You know what I mean? And I'm stubborn. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, this is the thing, and this is why I talk about this book on this podcast. I try to show people that I'm not trying to preach that I'm perfect. I'm trying to show y'all I have been through everything you are going through in your relationships. Yeah. And sometimes I'm still struggling with having the right words to say because with Anthony at that moment, it was like, I don't want to talk. Like, don't, don't talk to me. Like, I, I'm, I'm over you. I'm done. <sighs> Like, don't talk to me. I'm not even trying to hear what you got to say. And so it was like I was just such in a place of, like, defensiveness that I was like, you're not going to hurt me anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? And then he was at the place where it was like, you're not going to disrespect me anymore because we were both having this third party influence our emotions. Do you still talk to that bitch? The third party? Yeah. No. Not at all. Not at all. Because once we realized that there was a third toxic party messing with us and we were able to reconcile, it took us literally maybe an hour to have a conversation to reconcile our relationship. And we were like, why did we just go through all those months of BS? And it was because we had a third party that was over there whispering in both of our ears. Playing with the egos. Playing with the egos. Playing with us. And instead of just coming to each other and being adults and saying, listen, can we talk about this? It just got out of hand. I got some Timberlands downstairs. Hair and makeup got some Vaseline. We can go fight this out real quick. <laughs> I got a cousin visiting from Philly. We, we got need, this. We'll, we'll need to. We'll need to. I'm telling you, we love each other now. I'm talking about the third party. No, oh, the third party. Yeah, yeah. Because there's always a third bitch there's who's always. jealous, who wanted to be. I don't know what their intentions were, but their intentions caused conflict. It could have ruined the show if Auntie and I did not have the respect of each other to say we want to make sure our heroes are having the best experience possible. Like if we were both in our egos and would have been like, no, I'm getting on camera and I don't want to talk to you and I don't want, then it would have messed up the show. But because before the cameras would roll, we would look at each other and we would be like, are we good right now to get on camera and do good work? And we both say yes. And we'd lock hands and it would go there. The minute the cameras, I'd be like, don't touch me. And we're good. And so it was genuine for the person. But then once we were off, it was like, we don't see each other. Meanwhile, it was like, you know, Divas Live when Beyonce and Celine Dion had that sing off. And she was uh-huh. like, no. Nah! And Celine was like, no. <laughs> and she was like, no. And she was like, no, 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 bitch, sit down. <laughs> you ever watch that? No, but I have now. It's Divas VH1. And they had Celine Dion. And it was Beyonce. And they were singing Natural Woman. And they brought out Aretha Franklin. And they brought out, you know, Gladys Knight. And everyone got the memo. Yeah. Like, when Celine starts, you back up. 
Beyonce was like, nope, I'm fresh, I'm greed, I'm OVH1, I'm going to figure this out. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Right now. Jay-Z's in the audience. We about to wrap this up. (laughs) And she got, somebody must have bucked her head up right before she went out. Okay, because she went out there. She went for it. And literally, you could see Whitney Houston on the side. Like, she got off stage. She was like, (laughs) this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But I will tell you this, just to end it, because that's why Anthony and I did it. Because we wanted people to see we could grow through our conflict. We can make our heal our relationship. So if we can do it, you can do it. Karama Brown has a bag of cash. Mm -hmm. In that bag of cash is an amount of money that he gets $2 every time someone says, oh, I was up for that show. How much money does Karama have in that bag? $10 million. I cannot tell you how many times from real world to the show I did on Oprah Winfrey Network to when I was working at HLN and CNN, people would be like, you know, that was my job. And I was like, well, it wasn't your job because I have the job, but it was a lesson you need to learn so that you can get the next job because I'm all about the law of abundance. So get your career because it's out there for you, but stop saying that my career was yours. How many people have told you that they were up for Fair Eye? Because I hear it at least, I'm not even on the show. I don't even bring it up. I don't have a bald head. We don't look nothing alike. I will be like, hello, can I get a latte? You know I was up for Queer Eye, right? Like, literally out of the blue. So I imagine that it must be even crazier for you now. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of people. But let, let me tell you something. They picked a lot of qualified men from around the world who were up for these positions. And, of course, you want that job, but they only could select five. But I believe that every single person in there who did not get the job got an experience that's going to take them to get the next job. I truly believe that. And also the five of us are so open to, like, helping anybody. If you were in the audition and we knew each other, I'm going to help you get a job. Again, I believe in the law of abundance. There is work for you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to get there, let's let's go on that path together. We'll help you find it. If you and I were in there together, bitch, I'd be Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> My ass would be single white female and your ass in two seconds. They'd be like, oh, the finale, the final round of casting, Karamo's missing. I'd be like, oh, no. Where, where is he? Meanwhile, where I'm in your glasses. Okay, where is he? Where is he? I'm okay. wearing your face. I'm like, oh. I love you. I love you, too. But by the way, we are monkeys in a barrel. Because now we sisters. And, and Seely, when Nettie is in you, was never my monkey. You know what I mean? Wait, no, 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 no. Okay. Y'all better look at the color purple. I am wishing you all the success in your life. You too, bro. And I want you to promise me one thing. Yes. Because right now, I feel like you're, you're on level five. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be 10 more levels of your success, of your reach of helping people, you have to stop by here every time that you do something. Every time. Only if you're making the same promise that I love you on all your shows, but I have a feeling soon there will be a late-type version of your own show, and I just want to make sure that I'm one of the people on that couch when you have that. Because let me tell you something. Love Mother Wendy. Love her. But there is space for you as well. Put it in the universe. And so I just want to know, can I be a guest on that speak it in the universe okay and then you'll come on my show and i'm gonna come on your show because i'm gonna we're gonna get deeper into this relationship stuff and then in and the fear-based decisions yeah yeah and then in 20 years yes we're gonna go on that car trip like oprah and gail did in that chevy yes can we do it do it do it do it do it can we just do it now bitch you better pitch that to netflix listen don't play with me you got that money we're gonna just go around helping people let me tell you something 
I want to do the, they went on an adventure though. I want to like climb bridges and all that. Let's they do it. see our gay black asses do that. But you know what we can do? We can work out all my issues. We can work out all your issues in a Mercedes Benz. Please. Cheers. I mean, damn. This just turned into a therapy session. <laughs> I didn't even realize it. Oh my God. These are the interviews that I hope I get to do for the rest of my life where I can just sit with people and have honest and frank conversations about things that people not want to know, but that they need to know. I mean, this was unreal. I can't wait to actually get the other four of the Fab Five in here. So we're going to start that challenge. I'm going to try to get the other four of the Fab Five in here every month. And then what I'm going to do is... I'm going to get the corresponding throwback Fab Five member with them to talk about how things used to be and how they are now. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm going to actually work on that. You guys, follow me at The Lady Sitter. And to see this video of this podcast, head over to the E! News YouTube channel and click on Just The Sip. Thank you so much for listening. Do not forget to subscribe and rate and review. I would love it so much. And we'll be back next week with an all-new Just the Sip.